Yes. Yeah, the, the conversation starts getting lethal <laughs> moment by moment. It's always lethal, brother. Yeah. It's always right? lethal. So today, we're going to talk about uh, one of our favorite dudes, Jordan Peterson. Yeah. He's pretty much awesome, man. Yeah. It's very, very hard to watch the amount of uh, controversy that follows his name. You can throw criticism because there are plenty of things that I've watched myself, I've mm -hmm. shown you, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, showcase some shortcomings in the things that he mentions. But, man, to, like, be angry at the man for speaking to people? Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's usually just people taking shit out of context. Right. right. Like, it's never, like... It's never like he says something that's crazy wackadoo that you could point at and be like, that's a shitty thing to say. <laughs> at this point, because of the kind of person that I am, that I love to shit on things that I like, mm -hmm. I'm kind of waiting for that moment to happen. <laughs> like, no, I, th I don't think anyone's more vigilant than me at, <laughs> at, at this moment in terms, of, uh, in terms of waiting for the other shoe to drop in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, just in terms of being human and like potentially something, some... Uh, Making an error. An error, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, that uh, Jim Jeffries clip was a pretty good example of that, where uh, I forget what they were talking about, but you remember watching that clip? Yeah, the, he was talking about, and if the listeners haven't watched it, go watch it, because it's awesome. It's hilarious, yeah. It's awesome. Uh, Jim Jeffries asks Jordan Peterson if he believes that they should, that uh, the Supreme Court should make gay, uh, a bakery make a cake for gay people. Yeah, be forced to. Yeah, be, be forced, forced to. to, exactly. That's the, that's the main point. Yep. And Jordan Peterson reactively, I, you can see it, you, he reactively says, no, of course not. You know, the moment, you, the moment he hears government and forced is yeah. like, oh, what, no. <laughs> Jim Jeffries t accepts, accepts the answer, but then retorts with the fact that uh, we made people have to, we forced people to uh, integrate uh, races before, and it worked. In a couple of generations, although there are still, there's still some turmoil here and there, we for the most part have managed to be able to um, come together as a culture more, mm -hmm. uh, more favorably. Oh, definitely. And as a result, and it was entirely as a result of uh, state compulsion, mm -hmm. entirely. No one can say that the Civil Rights Act was not a means of state compulsion to drive us a certain way. But the results are in, yeah. and the world is much more awesome yeah. than it was before. Yeah. Jordan Peterson, he he just dropped it. He's like, no, I yeah. guess not. I guess I was wrong. Yeah. And I loved him for that. I remember you tried to show it to me because you mm -hmm. you, it, you thought that perhaps like Jim Jeffries had gone too far or like derailed no, him no, into... No, no, no. I don't know, okay. Well, what it was, what, I, I was just interested in the whole like kind of um, logic trap. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you would call that because it's like you were saying, like he's like, Jim Jeffries is asking him, do you think it's okay to do it? And Jordan, no. And then, and then he's like, you know what? I think I was wrong by the end of the clip. And yeah, then, totally. And then that left me in the exact same position because I'm just following along with the conversation. I'm like, no, I don't think that's right. No, I don't think that's right. And then I'm like, oh, I'm fucking Jordan Peterson in this moment. I'm thinking the exact same thing. And then, Correct. And then, well, that's, that's the whole reason I showed you is because I was like, maybe Jose can fucking uh, help me work out this... This little mental uh, and I loved puzzle. it. I loved it because we can't we can't be dissonant about what what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, the government took steps in order to be able to essentially rectify our ethical behavior as a as a society. Mm -hmm. They said you can't be treating people of color, black people, whatever this X way. It has to change. And to this day, there's been there's vitriol about that. I mean, mm -hmm. there are plenty of blogs. The moment you touch the, a keyboard, that will sh that will tell you that that was an over overstepping of the state and that 
perhaps the free market would have been able to handle racism just fine on its own. But <clears throat> it probably would have taken a It would have taken longer. a long time. And, yeah. and you also have to consider the fact that the majority always drives the, the capital yeah. whichever way they want. And in order to be able to change how the majority thinks, you have to unfortunately use the majority's own rules to do so. It's dangerous work. But yeah, it's dangerous work, but it paid off. It did. It yeah. paid off. <clears throat> to my mind, as a Latino male, I feel very comfortable, and I love this country unbelievably as a result of the um, immense advancements that we've had in terms of social and ethical issues. I think, you know, like... I, yeah, I think it could be argued that in that sense, this mm -hmm. is probably... Yeah, among in the top three places to live in that particular sense, no doubt. You know, at least in, like in the world. Yeah, without having to without having to touch an ocean, I feel that this is yeah. you know, creme de la creme in terms of mm -hmm. places to live. As a result of that, I love it so much that I can't help but want it to be better. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's necessary to, um, you know, bring out the rod, not to whip, but to straighten up the back. I feel. You know, just kind of run it up and be like, we can do a little better. We are we're slouching in certain areas. And I think that's what Jordan Peterson really brings to the table. If you genuinely listen without for, much further than just one clip here and one clip there. Right. Like, if you take your time and go and listen to his Maps of Meanings lectures, they're all free. You're talking about uh, thousands of dollars worth of uh, tuition money that you would have to pay in order to go to the University of Toronto and listen to the man speak. But he has the good sense to allow all of that to be on YouTube. And genuinely, his hard work is what gave him his name. Yes. Because it was him being a lecturer, him going through what, it, what the big five are, what, uh, how the big five, the big five personality um, factors. I'm, I might botch it, but once again, we're all here as a learning experience. <laughs> I believe that it's neuroticism, extroversion, openness, conscientiousness and agreeableness. I believe those are it. I made uh, an acronym on my head, NICO, to remember that. To remember that. If anybody wants to print that <laughs> from me. Steal that new model yeah, device exactly. from Hey, we're all, we're, all part, we're all part of the same crew here. So, <laughs> you know, be smart out there. That's right. And bring them back here so we can just keep churning them out. Keep yeah. churning them out. But yeah, that's, I, learned, I learned that about him. It really, it really opened my eyes to how one can fractionate an individual. You can really understand how people's temperament genuinely drives them. And as a result of that, once again, it, it potentially might come to become my, uh, tag, my tagline or my catchphrase in this series, but it fosters empathy. It genuinely showcases how other people live. And even if you're not like a, like a soft, lovey-dovey kind of person who's like, I don't care how other people feel, it's a very useful tactical maneuver too absolutely because empathy yeah empathy is first and foremost a tactic it is an evolutionary tactic for you to understand your enemy and understand the people around you so then you don't get caught slipping that is what empathy is supposed to be sympathy is when you're supposed to go through with the allying of the person and you can put yourself in their shoes and feel with the heart feeling Nothing wrong with that, but the thing is, you can, be, you can be selective when it comes to choosing who to apply sympathy to. You want to apply empathy to everybody. You want to be everyone at the same time and understand why they feel how they feel, because then potentially you can maybe learn something yourself or learn a better way to be able to access them, mm -hmm. get at them and interface with them in a way that both of you can be able to come out mm -hmm. ahead.
That's the big deal, right? It's like, why would you ever want to talk to somebody if it's not to, for the advancement of both people? Right. That's one of the chapters of 12 Rules for Life, which yeah. is... <laughs> which, which I have not read. But it is but. an amazing book. Um, yeah. I once heard somebody say, every hotel that I stay at, I steal the Gideon Bible and place a <laughs> copy of 12 Rules in the jar. <laughs> You gotta figure out who said that. Yeah, uh, it was uh, it was a guy from the Mean Boys podcast, if okay. I remember correctly. He was a big well, big fan. shout out to them then because they yeah. sound hilarious. They are hilarious. But uh, the title of that chapter was "Speak to People as if You Have Something to Learn from Them." You mm-hmm. know, talk to people in that manner, as, as if as if everybody had something that you don't know, and they is, do. Right, and that's the thing is that it's such a that's an actual simple rule to follow mm-hmm. because it is already an objective reality. The fact that you only live a one-person life at all times while everyone else is absorbing information that is entirely whew, alien, alien to you. It's it, uh, a lot of information. A lot. Yeah, and the, and the more you're mindful and open and aware of it, the more the more you're going to glean from it. That's I, I guess that's just uh, that's what you were just saying was um, uh, specifically about being empathetic towards people. So, 12 rules for life, um, and uh, anything else, really, I'd say, um, including the, I've seen the couple, I've seen the first two Maps of Meaning episodes, no, I've seen the first Maps of Meaning episode on, on YouTube, they're all fucking super long, they're like two and a half hours a piece. They're a lecture. Yeah, but they're super worth it to sit down and, and listen to, and then I've seen the two, the first two of his Bible lectures. Um, which are fascinating. Then I, and then I've read Twelve Rules. I mean, like you were saying, the more you listen to the guy, the more you start to pick up on his um, his uh, talking points. What you know, what's really important to him. And um, it, one of the cornerstones, I think, for what what he is concerned about, much like any other philosopher, is is meaning and the way that he describes the journey. It's like he describes how you find meaning as more of a process and as more of a, a practice, like a, like a hobby almost. Like it's something that you have to do and strive for every day. It's, it's taking any kind of action in your life that pushes you towards, you know, being a better person, being a better you. And that's, um, I mean, that's super distilled. The guy goes into it at length, and he's brilliant. It's true. Um, I remember one thing that really sticks to my mind in terms of being more judicious with yourself is his all mentioning that you want to be able to speak to yourself as though you were attempting to persuade yourself to do something, as opposed to you being a dictator to yourself and saying, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. You talk to yourself a little, a little more softly and wonder, okay, like there's problems, there's problems around us. What can we do in order to be able to fix some things mm-hmm. around us? Speak as though you were a salesman to yourself and try to get to a point that you can start fixing a little bit. That's what he always mentions when he says to aim low. Yeah. I, hear, I hear a lot of misconceptions in terms of that phrase. And he cleared it up in one of the Joe Rogan podcasts. I, I don't remember quite remember which one, but... Which are all great, but they're all great, exactly. That's why I'm not not even going to bother looking it up because I'll let you guess as you listen (laughs) through it. But he mentions the fact that to aim low just means to have humility and Mm -hmm. to understand that perhaps, yeah, the problems in your particular life perhaps are in 
gigantic, grandiose, and horrible. Mm -hmm. But there are particular small things that may appear mundane at first that can allow you to create and bulwark yourself to eventually be able to get closer to that bigger dragon. See, that's the, that's the thing about him is that he uses a lot of figurative language because I think he learned from being around children because he mentions his uh, stints working in daycares and stuff like that all the time mm -hmm. that um, that's, the, that's genuinely how people learn and the, the most important times of life are when you're young and that's the best way to be able to convey a message is to say like this is you can't explain the abstract concept of adult fear to a child but they understand what it means to be afraid of a dragon per, for example so you as an adult can then conceptualize your problems in the sense of you are a knight trying to fight the dragon and you can't fight it without proper armor and the armor comes from you training yourself in life in order to be able to eventually ascend the steps to fight those bigger issues mm -hmm. and he never takes off the table that you might fail and that's uh that's a very Nietzschean aspect of his philosophy is the fact that there is no hiding from the fact that everything could potentially go horribly wrong just because you're fighting a dragon doesn't mean that your destiny is written to be magnificent mm -hmm. but it at least means that it was a destiny that can be completed it doesn't have to you don't have to fester away hoping that somebody else comes around to solve your problems mm -hmm. that's essentially the big distillation of that aspect mm -hmm. to me they're all truisms that's one thing i always mention too and i hear mentioned all the time and he mentions them as well everybody understands that the things that he's saying are things that are archetypical like very much so Cli cliche yeah. almost cliche of course like on their face for sure mm -hmm. somebody tells you and this is yeah when, whenever i try to talk to somebody about 12 rules from like 12 rules and i'm like uh oh you know like uh it's full of good advice like uh, stand up straight with, with your shoulders back mm -hmm. and they kind of look at me like I'm stupid because as I'm saying it, that sounds kind of stupid. This is something that um, I've heard, I don't know who specifically, but I've heard a couple people say this about the guy that um, he's, he's a lot like a dad. He's mm -hmm. a lot like a father figure. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? He, he, like he's not demanding you um, of anything, but he's like, this is what you should probably fucking do. You know, I've thought a lot about this, and here's mm -hmm. what I've come up with. And um, Right, because there's suggestions. That's, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing ever, is the fact that you are free to choose under the tutelage of what Jordan Peterson has to teach, mm -hmm. is that you can stop at any time and be like, okay, well, I've had enough of these truisms, and I think I'm good enough now to go off and uh, try to fight my own battles. And I think you're kind of, like, encroaching on that point, too, right? Like, that's that's kind of the reason you decided not to read uh, 12 Rules yet, or, or aren't very, like, interested just because, like... Right, it, they're essentially, it's essentially just a, uh, a condensation mm -hmm. of his Maps of Meaning, his Maps of Meaning lecture mm -hmm. and all of the biblical lectures, yeah. which I've read, I mean, I've watched both of those things Fascinating. entirely. Fascinating entirely. shit. Especially the biblical lectures, man. Those. Yes. I, I was thinking about, because I only watched the first two episodes, mm -hmm. which is maybe four hours of content or something. I think it's, they're two they're, hours a piece. They're about two hours, 45 minutes a pop. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, they're the, it's the kind of thing that only, only having my kind of job could, mm -hmm. could allow you to do. And uh, it my, just melts away. It's yeah, great. yeah. That it, 
fuck, dude. <laughs> That's an easy six hours then because it didn't feel like that long. No, and I didn't. sat and thought about it for days afterwards. I just, without going into specifics, like the idea that speech is what is what derives order out of chaos, like mm-hmm. it's an essential part. The whole I- that idea blows my fucking mind. I can't, like I, I still trouble to wrap my head around it. Yeah, I think to my mind, what the reason why that feels so significant as well, because I'm totally on, on board with you on that end, is that it takes up a null thing and it makes it feel fantastical. Because what are we doing right now? We're speaking. We're using semiotic coherence that we've learned through our, you know, kinder years to get here and speak now like adults, I suppose. <laughs> like, this is what an adult sounds like. And from there, we've been able to coalesce and get each other uh, set up in such a way that we live in a society that we don't have to go toil and we have enough time to do things like this. Mm-hmm. Take time to talk to our friends about, you know, a guy such as Jordan Peterson who has the potential to, if not, if not lead you the right way, potentially maybe glean things that you already know. That's one thing also that he mentions all the time is that half the people that go to him is like, I've never heard this before. And the other half is like, yes, everything you're saying, I already knew entirely. But the way that you articulated it made it shine brighter. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's one thing that people don't take into consideration is that you can walk across a field of diamonds that are yet to be polished. and And if you don't have the right eye to discern what is what, You'll just walk right by and not tell. But yet those things are still diamonds. They don't lose their luster just because you fail to grasp how important they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that one can uh, glean off of these truisms is that although they're everywhere and literally every homeless person will tell you, if you don't want to be like me, you got to, you know, keep yourself, you know, keep yourself straight, you know, uh, don't be lying and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like... Literally, those are, that's what the 12 rules of life are. Yeah. You know? and, but, be, but because they're articulated in a way that allows you to be able to see and he abstracts in very, very oh, amazing ways. Yeah, the simple stories that mm-hmm. he uses are just perfect. Yeah. That's all you need. It's unbelievable how unnecessarily uh, complex things are created when in reality it just requires a small parable or allegory to like really bring drive it home i wanted you yeah uh speaking of that i just wanted you because the last time you explained it to me um it broke my brain a little bit and it kind of melted my heart Mm. and it seems like uh broke brains and melted hearts yes (laughs) it seems like the kind of thing that um everybody should hear but uh it um jordan peterson uh, one of his biggest influences is is Nietzsche, and you told me this uh, parable or aphorism or whatever you want to call it from the mm-hmm. Spoke the Sutra, Zarathustra, Zarathustra, mm-hmm. um, about uh, these this uh, story about the di- diamonds and the coal. Right, right. Um, if anybody's listening and wants to read it themselves, we have it pinned on the Facebook page of the Lethal Introspection Crew, so if you don't want me to completely botch it, because <laughs> we're doing everything off the cuff here, you know, yeah. everything's just organic. Um, yeah, and that that's the 29th law table that Zarathustra creates in order to be able to kind of bring some new order after God has died. And the 29th law table is not a law, it's a story. But the law comes from within the story. 
and the story goes that the diamond was asked by the charcoal one day, why are you so hard on us? Are we not brothers? The diamond looks over to the charcoal and says, why are you so soft? Are you not my brothers? Why would you want to be, uh, why would you not want to be sharp in order for us to be able to create together? It's like if you, if you, if you remain soft all the time, we won't be able to conquer. And because of that, you need to be able to strive higher as opposed to trying to bring everyone else down. It's like the law, the law is be hard. That's what the law is. And strive, and and strive to yeah. be better. Because we're all brothers, right? Yeah. It's like if you see somebody that's a diamond, you don't, you don't go act, tell them that, hey, stop striving. That, uh, that cuts us all at the knees because then we're all charcoals forever. As opposed to us being able to have active examples of the spectrum of things we could be. You know, because there are some charcoals that shine brighter than others, you know, even within the spectrum of charcoals, mm -hmm. like everyone's uh, working towards something. And those, um, although I've said it before and I still believe it, I'm not that big into abstractions. I don't, I don't really like, you know, like if you can, I think that the real, uh, that's why I find Jordan Peterson to be so, so great. Because mm -hmm. although he uses allegories and stuff like that, he then goes off and explains it in a slightly more analytical, like psycho, yes. you know, like psychoanalytical way. Yeah. So you can, <clears throat> he brings it back home is yeah. really the thing. He doesn't allow it to stay off adrift. Because if somebody doesn't really understand what, it's like, why are charcoals and diamonds talking to each other? It's like, <laughs> when would that ever happen? Yeah. You know, you lose people, boom, right away. Yeah. And uh, an amazing, and, and an amazing uh, gem inside of that story is lost once again because you can't see it not because it's not there but because you can't see it and that's what all of the spoke Zarathustra is is essentially like it's like a new age bible yeah to my mind that's exactly what Nietzsche was going for it's like oh shit like people don't have a god anymore yeah and people are crazy <laughs> so it's... we need to ha find some way to like not corral them but lead them down like a bridge he said everyone needs to be everyone ha is a plank to the bridge toward the superman mm -hmm. is was his denoting factor and the superman is essentially god because it's you it's like it's you in a better form you'll never be the superman because you're always going to be imperfect mm -hmm. but there's always a future version out there that's just oh, so much better you know it's just doing so much better feeling so much better and that abstraction that's that's the God to chase. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, uh, it became more of a, I feel like a more kinesthetic sort of, uh, sort of mysticism, kind of. It's like, you can't just sit around and wait for, like, wait for Jesus to come back. You can't just wait around for your own death. It's like, no, it's like, it's like the, it's not like Jesus where he'll always come back. It's mm -hmm. like the Superman can not come. It can, it can come to pass that the Superman will totally miss our planet mm -hmm. and it won't, it will never come to pass that it will be like that here. But we have a we have a choice. Like we were talking with Kevin the other time in our psychedelic experience episode, which you should check out. It's a good one. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> we were talking about the fact that determinism doesn't mean that you're led one way. That's predestination. That's one. It's a word that I forgot to mention last time, but one I'm trying to rectify here. There's a difference between determinism and predestination. Mm -hmm. And in determinism, you get to, like I said, be a node in a network of choices, as opposed to just you just being A, then B, then C, then D, etc., all the way ad nauseum until your death. Mm -hmm. And here, although although the network always leads to death in some way or another, it zigzags, it creates cool patterns, it can go in any sort of direction. You have the free ability to choose how the line looks, mm -hmm. as opposed to it always having to be straight. 
And that's something that Jordan Peterson really brings to mind. He always is just telling people, it's like, you don't have to do anything of what I'm saying. All of this is entirely a choice. Mm -hmm. But think about how cool life would be, you know, if you didn't suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and all you have to do is, what, uh, try? Try. Yeah, try. <laughs> just try to do something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's... It's it, not even one thing, really. Like, well, he, he often talks about this um, this story about... Uh, one of his clients, a uh, uh, kid or something, a teenager, I think, and uh, he tells he tells this kid to start small. He goes, uh, well, just clean up your room. Apparently, the family didn't clean the house very much or something like that. And so the kid cleans up his room, and his family gets mad at him for it oh. because they're like, what, do you think you're better than us trying to clean up your fucking room? And he's just doing, he's just taking a small step to make his life better. Right? I, I I remember. I think I might have remembered hearing that. Yeah. yeah. Once again, he analogizes for that perfectly. He says that by him fit getting his life together, he has awoken the devils in his home, mm -hmm. and the you know through the pathologies of his parents. Yeah. And those devils have lineages that go far, far back. Yeah. You know, and they're powerful. You know, and he comes from those devils. Mm -hmm. He is part devil himself, as we all are. And he's trying to break out of this negative feedback mm -hmm. loop that's been continuing since before you know what i learned actually and we have to actually be careful when we say these things oh okay because a positive feedback loop mm -hmm. is a loop that continues until the point that it breaks apart because it keeps adding and adding and adding until it breaks okay a negative feedback loop is one that goes until it stabilizes itself itself so whenever you want to denote things that are negative or like that are going to just keep going and going until they break off, it's yeah. always a positive, a positive feedback, feedback loop. Oh, okay. Yeah, right? It's oh. weird. Yeah, it's weird that like, once again, like the semiotics of the, of the talk, like you hear positive, be like, no, that's not what I mean. I mean a negative feedback oh, loop. okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Always once, learning. Always learning. That's the whole point. <laughs> Killer thoughts at all times. You never know where the knife might come from. Yes. Okay. So um, it's a positive a feedback positive loop. Feedback loop. Yeah into um it well what i glean from that and i think what the point of the story too is like you were saying too is it's well beforehand it's about it's about the journey it's mm -hmm. it's um you know being happy what does he always say being happy is not it's not a destination it's mm -hmm. the journey you know mm -hmm. what i mean and that's and that's where you glean or that's where um that's his whole dig is it's it's is the journey that's where right. you find the meaning and you make your own meaning because he well the presupposition based that he bases that argument off of is that life is suffering. Correct. Right. It, it most aptly said, I think, by the Dread Pirate Rabbits in The Princess Bride, <laughs> uh, life is pain. And anybody that tells you different is selling something. Like, I learned that as a small child, and I didn't even know how profound it was. <laughs> the Princess Bride is an amazing movie. It though. is. It's like it's very sharp. Mm -hmm. I bet uh, Zemeckis was a fan of Nietzsche. Or oh, wait, was that Zemeckis? I don't remember who fucking directed that movie. I don't think it was Zemeckis, now that I think about it. but Right, I mean, happiness is so unbelievably transient. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you or anybody that might be listening right now, but when I feel happy for too long, I start feeling kind of suspicious. Mm. Like, <laughs> like, what exactly is it that uh, is it about the situation that's making me feel so happy so long? Right. Because my life, unfortunately, and this is, you know, once again, I, that's why I choose to never want to be the arbiter of reality. My life feels very neurotic sometimes. Although I can put off a very calm veneer, I'm always worried as to whether I'm wasting my time or not. And it's something that has always hounded me, but when I was younger, I could 
turn it off a little bit more because I was I looked at myself and I was like, oh, I'm young. It's it's all right. It's like I'll either die soon, you know, and then it won't matter, or I'll have a long time left and then I'll be able to fix myself up. <laughs> I lived that credo, you know, all the way through my teenage years and my early twenties, and unfortunately, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm paying the reckoning for that mentality. But I it it is time to pay the piper. It's it's now the the time that I had my fun when I was young and I could and I could afford it. I feel like I could yeah. I could get blackout drunk and wake up the next day and go work at Walmart just yeah. fine. Now there, I'm really glad that there's a guy like Jordan Peterson that can help me um, reestablish myself with the truisms I already knew. And because I have a father, and my father is great, I I have been I have been very fortunate to be uh, be created in a reality where I happen to have a dad that had his like five senses, like from the moment from Jump Street, and because of that, I've never had to feel any sort of instability in terms of uh, my masculine role models, mm. and I've always known what it means to be a successful person. Yeah. So it's never been too hard for me. So. It's, um, I think once again, is... why I never like to be an arbiter of, you know, any reality. Because my reality almost feels a bit too good. Yeah. It's interesting. That's the two kind of key differences there between you and me. And I think, mm-hmm. and it's funny that, that it's Jordan Peterson that still brings us both back to the same place after this. Mm-hmm. But, like, not that I didn't have a dad growing up. But right. it, it, um, my parents were divorced. And so we didn't, I don't know. He, he It's not that he wasn't around. But... I don't know. It's kind of like a second class like type of situation. Like the, it, you know, you'd it'd see would see him every you know month maybe, and then that's harsh. You know, I yeah. well, I see. I didn't realize it at the mm-hmm. time. Um, but the other thing you said too before that uh, about how you um, had always been in that mindset of like, um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to uh, worry about some things. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to be mindful of uh, shit that I need to do in the right. future to to be better. Mm-hmm. I never thought like that, mm. and so I think I think that compounded with the um, not really having a strong. I had some strong uh, male figures in my life, but I For never. Sure. I don't think I. I don't think. Well, that, yeah, that's what. Um, yeah, right back again to the Jordan Peterson. It's kind of like a. He's kind of like a father figure. There's a lot. Like you said, um, yeah. My um, my wife laughed at me when I mentioned that to her too. And she's like, "You already have a dad." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." And my dad's great. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's like, but he he once again can't articulate himself the way Jordan Peterson right. can. Like my dad can tell me the truism. Mm-hmm. My dad can tell me like the title, the title right. page of the of book, the but he can't give the, me the chapter. Yeah, you know? And you and bless the man's heart. I love him to death. He mm-hmm. is an unbelievably hard worker, and I would never expect him to be able to articulate himself in that way. For me, particularly, you know, it's like he leads by example. Mm-hmm. While Jordan Peterson has, because of his uh, ability to have gone to college and you know be- become an experimental and clinical well, psychologist exper- and everything, all the experience with yeah, right, being right. a clinical psychologist, holy shit! Right. Can you imagine what twenty years of talking to people that have a lot of problems? Does yeah, because no one would knowledge. want. No one goes to a psychologist no. when you're doing fine. No, no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> no he's getting the no. worst of the worst. <laughs> <laughs> He's taken all the shit in for, what, 20, 30 yeah. years? Uh, yeah. Just mulling it over all the fucking... All the while all living the... all the while living through the Cold War the entire yeah. time. 
Yeah. So all one thing that he says really shaped him is his continual worry about nuclear proliferation throughout the 80s and how everyone around him kind of looked like weird to him because no one was worrying as much yeah. as he was. They're like, the world might end. Yeah. <laughs> right? Isn't that troublesome? Yeah. yeah. Shut up, Jordan. That reminds me of... Um, that's kind of interesting that that uh, because the uh, preface to one of Jordan Peterson's influences, uh, Fyodor uh, Dostoevsky. Oh yes. Um, Crime and Punishment, which mm -hmm. I'm almost done with. Um, probably the saddest book I've ever read. <laughs> there's there's a lot of wisdom to be gleaned from it. It's absolutely. to my mind one of the funniest books I've ever read. Oh. It's a comedy to my mind. Oh boy. yes. Well, I haven't is. finished it yet, so yeah. it's okay. And you know what? We're uh, we had already talked about wanting to do a little segment uh, yes. on the book itself. We should and after, what it meant. Yeah. After I finish it, yeah. Hit it up. But uh, oh fuck! What was I gonna say? Oh, the preface to that book is uh, written by someone. I'm sorry, I don't remember who. Um, but they're talking about how. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm only vaguely remembering this, but how about how when Dostoevsky, he was a prisoner of war, maybe, mm -hmm. and he was set to be executed. Correct. They brought him out to be executed, and within the last... Uh, Couple seconds, yeah, before minutes. Before the, they were all f on firing squad, I think mm -hmm. it was. Yes. They recalled the execution, and... He got sent to Siberia. And he got sent to... Holy fuck, dude. <laughs> Okay, that is super shitty, but uh, what they said, what the, the whom, whomever wrote that preface said was that this stuck with uh, him his entire life, this feeling of... It stuck with Dostoevsky? Yes, this, uh, this terrible, terrible, I can't even, fuck, unimaginable uh, feeling of being tied down and having your, your life be just taken from you, just having that fear inside of you of like... You're going to die now, and there's nothing you can do about it, and then just having it snapped away. I mean, I'm sure there's relief in there, but can, the, the amount of mental torture. Let me, let me uh, add a little bit to that, because I've read The Idiot, which is the uh, following book. Uh, I don't know if it's canonically the following book, but it's after Crime and Punishment. Mm. Uh, and it's a, much, it's a much lighter book than, than Crime and Punishment it was. It doesn't make you want to cry it does, all it, the time? It doesn't make you want to cry for the same reasons. It oh, still okay. makes you want to cry sometimes, but it's a much more beautiful book to my mind. Um. And in that book, the, uh, the prince, Prince Mushkin, uh, who is the um, the idiot of the story? He tells a story of how he, and it's a pretty much an autobiographical uh, retelling of Dostoevsky's life, where what he really, what Dostoevsky genuinely felt afterwards, you know, not once he actually was able to think about the situation, mm -hmm. was unbelievable relief and and relief and such simple simple love for reality. To the point that everything seemed precious to him now. There, because it is literally like he was living on borrowed time. It's like that feeling of like that people say when they've had like an um, a near death experience mm -hmm. that now it's like I'm playing with the house, you know, house money. Like Kevin Smith said in the Joe Rogan podcast mm -hmm. after his unfortunate heart attack, he said that he felt like he he's not he's not playing with the house money because he should be dead. Uh, he should have been dead on that gurney, yeah. you know, cremated and gone away or whatever Kevin Smith wants to do with his body, but. But the the sad reality is that we're always playing with house money. There is no time yeah. that like oh now time is like free. It's like time's always been time's always been just a commodity. Uh, it's going going away and going away. 
And we need to just be awoke, awoken to the fact that that is what is genuinely happening. It isn't that today is worthless because it isn't just worthless. It is a day that is happening to a whole ton of people all over the place. And in the same way that we're actually bothering to take a couple minutes of our time to speak to people about things that we genuinely love and could potentially reach them too, everybody has that opportunity as well now. And I sometimes do feel like the prince, like in, as an idiot, just how, how unbelievably grateful I feel just toward reality and just walking around and being like, man, like every moment is just as, uh, as precious as the next because I could have been killed in a car accident. I could have been everybody, you know, if you close your eyes right now, you can picture at least one moment where your life was in mortal danger and you are still here for some reason. And consider that the moment when you started playing with house money. Why not, right? It's like, why, why get to the point that you have to be laying on a gurney for, then, for you then to be able to really begin to appreciate? Oh, it's a much better place to start. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd pick that over the gurney for sure. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, I can, I can remember a time like that. But this is, um, yeah, it's really all about... This is something that's brand new to me. Like th- this is this is an idea. I think what what we're talking about, um, trying to trying to be trying to be a better person than you were yesterday. Trying to make each day something because it has the potential for something in it. And, and it compounds. It compounds and, very quickly. And that's another thing we were talking about the other day, um, where you just started going to the gym, what was it, three years ago? Yeah. And you put on 40 pounds of muscle? 40 pounds, yeah. That's the way fucking insane, dude. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. And it just it just goes to show you, you just take a little bit every day. Yeah, because I'm not doing anything <clears throat> extreme whatsoever. Right. It's literally just consistency consistency has been to me the key ingredient to all of the successes of all of my life going to college uh going to the gym having a job it's just understanding that there isn't a tomorrow that you can put things off to because you're already living tomorrow you know there's already a you yesterday that thought i'm gonna put this off till tomorrow and you're living that tomorrow already Mm -hmm. you're always carrying the burdens of your lazier self so imagine if you none of you were lazy. <laughs> like this really drives that this drives at the central theme of Jordan Peterson, right? Mm-hmm. To do this is is my favorite chapter in Twelve Rules is to pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Ooh, that's a good title name. The, it is the most profound um, and obvious truism that exists, like in the background of everyday life. That it took a book to point it out to me, to, like, really break it down, and he does so amazingly, you know, it, this, it, it's almost like the most obvious thing in the world. When, break it down for me. What, what is it? What does that mean oh, for you? Oh, man. Uh, well, for me, it means, yeah, kind of like you were saying, um, it's the incremental, um, uh, improvement, um, that comes with, being consistent and having discipline and just doing things that you know that you should do. Right. Like, it, as silly as it sounds, recently, um, every day when I come home from work, I do the dishes. I'm like, I gotta do the dishes. You're I don't a fucking know why. superhero, man. You're a yeah. superhero. <laughs> it, and it's, it's weird that it, like, 
okay, well, that was just one little thing. And sure, it's nice, like, mm-hmm. having a clean kitchen is yeah, nice. right. But then, you know, and then we started, um, we started dieting. And for mm-hmm. the first time in my life, I've actually stuck to a diet. Ooh. And I've seen some, you know, some minimal improvements, but it's enough that it makes me feel good. And right. And they're consistent. Is the right. Point. And it's every day. That's right. I'm a month in. Mm-hmm. And then I... Um, I just recently uh, got my stationary bike back from where I used to live. Okay. Because I was like, you know what? I might as well add in um, a little bit. And it's like... We're watching these... YouTube videos all the time, right? It's right. like, why not just... Why not just fucking burn some... Get some cardio in? Right. You know, when I dropped... Um, a couple of years ago, I dropped 20 or 30 pounds. And that's all I did as I woke up every morning and I jumped on the bike. And I started thinking, why am I not doing that? It's, it'll take 20, 30 minutes of my day... And it's going to fucking compound. It's going to, you know, and I'm not even really that concerned with it just because in the moment it seems like a, that's what it, it's a good sacrifice to make. Right. You know what I mean? It's sacrificing a little bit for in the future, I can have 30 more pounds of muscle on me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can, I'll, I'll be way more better. I'll be way better off. Yeah. Way more better. Way more better off <laughs> yeah, than I was better. before from just getting on the bike, mm-hmm. you know, a couple days a week or going oh. to the gym or lifting some weights or reading a book. Yeah, man. Or <laughs> watching a couple lectures. It seriously seems like it's like a law of nature that you mm-hmm. can't help but get better at things you consistently do. It, uh, right. Yeah, you, become, you kind of fall into uh, the rhythm of success, mm-hmm. like... As if success was a dance, that would be the that would be the way to dance. It would be to do it all of the time, mm-hmm. uh, to be to begin uh, breaking life down into the genuine segments that they are. That's one thing that I've really been doing for myself is no longer thinking about time in any way in any other spectrum other than today. What exactly is it about? If what is it about today that can launch things for the future that can I can then catch some other time because that's what we're doing right now. We literally threw a ball to ourselves last weekend when we did our last episode over to right here, hoping that in the future we will catch it and be consistent and continue putting output and continuously getting better between ourselves, getting more comfortable, speaking to the hypothetical thousands and millions of people I'm sure that are out there. Oh, just you, just you. Oh, you know hey, who you are. Morgan. Yeah, oh, hey. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> One day, baby. Yeah. Uh, but either way, either way, it doesn't even really matter. <clears throat> even if no, even if we're speaking to the vacuum of space, the vacuum of space will still accept our voices, yeah. and that is good enough for me because That's the point. otherwise, otherwise, I would just be playing video games right now and it would be great for myself I would be having great fun I might be playing it with you but I don't think I wouldn't be able to then say that my life was of any worth and I don't mean that in any objective sense trying to put any sort of denigration toward video games because if you check out our video game uh, (laughs) uh, discussion which you should check out you can obviously see that I am a true blue lover genuine lover and passionate one of video games and it's but it's because of that that i want to be careful in terms of that love because it can so easily sink you Mm -hmm. so quickly and that can happen with anything so it's weird that mm -hmm. um you you, you can see i'm not trying to speak outside or trying to talk down to anybody but you can see once you start to pay attention, you can see these patterns of behavior that people have that lead them to just be 
very unhealthy, whether it's whether it's in their minds, um, uh, and and it, that's where it usually starts, and then you start to see it on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this. It's pathologies. Yeah, it's strange, right? It's it, like it's a it's a bad positive feedback loop of of I don't know uh, depression into unhealthy eating into obesity into more depression and anxiety and isolation into you know it's just this cataclysmic thing that if you don't if if you constantly pursue expedient instant gratification type of things your your life is going to turn into a shit show right that's why dante manifested in uh hell in steps Mm. Because you never get there in one tut and you know in oh, in one go, you never do. Uh, you don't have to follow his his specific designation in the poem in any sort of way to be able to begin creating your own pos- per, uh, personal classifications of the steps toward hell. Mm-hmm. And the colder and colder, pla- colder and colder, lonelier, lonelier places deeper into the circles. And every single person has the capacity to create that hell. And it's bountiful, right. you know. And the world, and the world gives you plenty of the. The world is a beautiful toolkit for creating very, very abstract and diverse hells. Mm. <laughs> There's plenty of them. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, I, I was just reading this in earlier. that chapter that I was referencing. Um, Pursue what is meaningful. That. I forget where it started. It's it started in the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. It started in uh, Genesis and and Adam and Eve. But it was about once they ate the fruit from the tree of of uh, knowledge of good and evil. Part of this is what he was saying. What he was saying was part of consciousness is it, it, and part of being self aware is understanding that everybody has the capacity because we because we know in our own selves what is most of us know what is good and bad you know what what makes people feel good or what makes people feel bad we all have that ability to create hell because we because we can do it to each other because we understand this person I can put this person in hell by torturing them you right. know what I mean we all have that capacity to do that where we, we all have the compa- what does he say to be a Nazi guards. Yes, that is an and that is an exercise in empathy. Mm. That's you being able to put yourself in another person's situation, but in a tactical sense, and being like, "All right, well, how can I just mess up their life horribly? What would what would hurt me, in order for me to, and then I will use that on other people." To uh, to steal Jordan Peterson's words, it's it's what he called demonically possessed aesthetics, where it's like. It's like a beautiful piece of evil yeah. where you just genuinely, where you really have to think about it, right? Yeah. It's like, because there's one, there's one thing to be reactionarily evil where you're like, man, you know, screw that guy. And yeah. then like do something bad. But then like, but then to be the kind of person to stop and really think about it, take out a notebook and yeah. like, can, like <laughs> make a diagram and like. Bullet points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's demonically possessed aesthetic because you want to then make it beautiful. Oh, you want that pain to sear generations maybe if it can mm. right that and that's one of the things that he mentions as you said that everybody has that inside of them mm-hmm. everybody has the potential to tap into that and the best thing we can do is to be aware of it take the monster out of its cage look at it 
and be like, okay, we are one, right? It's the Jungian integration of the shadow. Mm. You're never supposed to reject the shadow. You're supposed to integrate it into yourself so then you can be a whole being. Because what, what kind of being are you without a shadow, right? Yeah, a shadow of a being. Yeah, you would be... <laughs> oh, so apt. Right, but... And because of that, you cannot reject your more negative aspects, but you can uh, begin to... Um, Cultivate them in a way that begins to yield fair harvest to you. Mm -hmm. Every single, because I can imagine that, and although I know that it's out of vogue, but I like the concept of the id, that there are, there's just an aspect of yourself that's just like a, like a mule, just, just wanting to go forward all the time, just gratification, gratification. Mm -hmm. And a mule is a very useful tool. If you know, if you have a, if you have a field that you know that can be plowed, if you use the id properly, it can run us through very easily in order for us to be able to set down our seed. So I think that that is what it means to be able to integrate every part of yourself because to think that there is an aspect of yourself that is so horrible is to demonize your, your own self. And when you demonize yourself, you put yourself in the same shoes that a potential serial killer does. Because majority of the time, that's what happens, is that they, they take their pathologies to such an, a repressed extreme that, like, every, like I mean, almost every law in the universe, they don't get destroyed. They just get manifested in a different way. Mm -hmm. You never get to destroy the negative feelings. They will just outlet themselves in a way that you will turn off and the, and the negative feelings will take over. And that's what you want to avoid. You want to always be, uh, you always want to be the guy doing the outletting of the steam of yourself all of the time. Don't, don't delude yourself into thinking you don't have any steam inside you because you do. You're an angry, angry, half insane chimp. You really, really are. And once you give yourself that little bit of credit, that little bit of do, you know, and that little bit of forgiveness in the sense mm -hmm. of what you are. The honest. Yeah. Right, exactly. Now, now you can be your own handler, mm -hmm. you know. You can drive the little chimp forward and be like, look at what he can do. It's, mm -hmm. it's going to be great, right? And um, that's what Jordan Peterson, at least to my mind, has really uh, gleaned on very well. Yeah. And... I can only imagine the amount of decades of, of, of thinking and having to speak to people, yes. speaking to his postgraduates, speaking, speaking to his undergrads, and mm. like, it's the continual sharpening of the knife. That really is what, it, yeah. it's just a sharpening of the knife. And he, he's always mentioning that people tell him that, you know, when he says things, like he could have done them better, but what he likes to joke is that that doesn't mean that they'll do it, Right. You have to allow you have to allow yourself the humility to sound like an idiot yeah. first before anybody can ever consider you wise later. I think that's a big deal. Yeah, it's a super big deal, and it takes a lot of uh, takes a lot of humility to get to that point too. Mm -hmm. Right, that's something that um, I've noticed particularly um, when you go back and watch Jordan his older lectures and shit, mm -hmm. he, he's just so much more confident now. He, the way that he speaks, how he holds himself. Right? Like you, he's not as fidgety. He's not, yeah. he, can he can maintain and articulate the sentences because he said them before. Because you know, he's been doing it for years. Right, exactly. Know? That's one thing that I've come to notice about myself is that the more I speak and the more... I, especially now doing these podcasts, being able to play back my words 
and really be able to catch the intonations of myself it allows me to refine my persona mm. again not rejecting my persona but trying to refine it in a way that could potentially be useful to the whole crew everybody that's listening right mm -hmm. now and anywhere at any given time oh, that's the whole idea right yeah. exactly <clears throat> because we're talking into a digital machine that could potentially exist for thousands of years we don't know the longevity of youtube or any other one of the uh mechanisms that we're using to put these words out into the ether we could be speaking much like Nietzsche does to me when I opened Zarathustra from 100, 150 years ago, right? Long yeah. dead, I'm dust, but here I am, mm -hmm. right? And uh, it, because we get to live in a first world, we get to experience what will be the problems of everyone, I think is one of the biggest things. Because if we're optimistic, as I sometimes very, very lightly like to give myself the ability to be, Everyone will live in a first world modicum at some point or another, or very close to at least a second world. We're, we're striving toward that every single day in some way, you know, just by not being dicks. We're already, we're striving toward that. And because of that, people will have to deal with depressions and apathies and the concepts of, oh man, like I love video games, but what else am I going to do with my time? How do I, how can I re reframe this odd love in a means that actually manages to be able to give, give me an id that will sow my harvest, right? How can I how can I reframe myself? That's one thing that I'm always uh, battling with all of the time, mm. thinking about how I can restructure my inner self because every day is a struggle for me too. You know, I woke up today and I was thinking of the things that I had to do and the myriad of ways that I could totally skip the gym. I was like, <laughs> you know, like I have so many things to do, so many ways to be productive today. I'm sure that I. Even if I even if I didn't go to the gym today, I would still feel great at the end of the day because of the things we're about to get done. Mm -hmm. But I did not allow myself. That was oh such a poor, poor. I should have known better. I should have had a better excuse, I think. <laughs> I should have tried a little harder in my excuses and maybe tomorrow I'll I'll beat myself. But today I couldn't. I was like, no, like you still have time. You know it, I know it, you know? That's uh one thing I told Kevin one time before um when we were talking about psychedelics is that I have this weird conceptualization of the judge when I do psychedelics that I always on a day that I might do that kind of thing I try to get a lot done that day mm -hmm. I try to be as hyper productive as I possibly can because I do not want the judge to appear inside of my head this is some good advice because I'm planning on tripping either next weekend or the following yeah I, I <laughs> that's think, a good idea I that's... think so you know it um <clears throat> Because although the judge might come out, he might rule in your favor, mm -hmm. right? And that's the thing is that it's not that the judge won't come out. It's that it, you just want to be able to lean the evidence toward yeah, your favor. Yeah, the chances. Right, exactly. It's like, okay. Yeah. yeah, okay, okay, I, like I see. Yeah, we've reviewed the evidence and it seems like today is a good day for it, right? Yeah, right? It, uh, you don't, once again, as Jordan Peterson says, you don't want to make every aspect of yourself a dictator that's leading the march, goose-stepping, you know, toward whatever odd abstraction of a future that you're trying to make you're you know just coaxing you to, you're just patting yourself on the back a little bit wondering yeah. you know it's like hey we did great yesterday you well, remember yeah, remember you, that feeling yesterday? you gotta make deals with yourself mm -hmm. right like you gotta be you like, literally well, have to deal with the devil because right. as we said we're all we're all half devil yes half yeah. devil half christ yeah half, uh, yeah half cain half abel mm -hmm. yeah we um uh man that's so that's so important that's really what we're getting at too is trying to find a balance, right? Trying to trying to be like, okay, I can play some video games, but 
before I play video games, I'm going to go to the gym. And then after I get home from the gym, I should probably read a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, just trying to find a balance. Maintaining, maintaining one foot in chaos and one foot in order. Correct, right. You don't want, you don't want to uh, make yourself only be one thing. Mm. Because, uh, one, because one will lead to obsession and then the other one will lead you to apathy. Right, you want to if I if I became overtly like orderly and be like I have to go to the gym every single day, like I have to you know like do this because I have to. Yeah, it uh it becomes a compulsion as opposed to a means for me to be able to, as I said before earlier, bulwark myself for potential chaos later. I'm just uh, I'm putting on horse visors and hoping that just by not paying attention to anything else except going to the gym or working out, you know, or or reading or you know doing whatever that I can dampen reality, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Not, that's never the thing I want to do with the things that I am actively doing. When I'm at the gym, I'm doing it because I know that it hurts and I'm there and I'm present. When I'm doing this podcast, I am actively, I'm actively listening and I'm actively speaking and I'm here. I am genuinely here at this very moment. And in this space-time, this little capsule of space-time that is this podcast, I am seriously here you know for both you as my friend and the listener as my proto friend because anybody that's willing to listen this long me it means that we're touching upon something that speaks to them too mm-hmm. it's been you know washing about their mind as well they've they've not, they've also been playing monster hunter they've also been playing <laughs> uh they've also been playing any sort of any sort of game for a very long time that it really gives them the satisfaction that they want at the moment but it always leaves a hole at the end unfortunately not to generalize because there are people that can do it but i'm unfortunately not that kind of person i need to diversify my portfolio in terms of the means that i choose to spend my time Mm -hmm. and i even do that with what what people would consider to be productive aspects like reading like i can read for a really long time and then eventually i get bored of reading i'm like i've been reading for a long time you know and i was like let me let me read, let me do something else with that little aspect of time that I'm doing. And then eventually, you know, it, uh, like the dentist system, you, uh, <laughs> yeah, system. you, you, you completely, you, uh, remove yourself emotionally entirely. And then eventually you just want to come back. And that's the sick, sick, that's the sick, sick relationship you can have with success. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, Way to tie that all in together at the end yeah, of the Dennis system. Hey, I mean, unfortunately, mm-hmm. although he... See, but that's the thing. Dennis, in that situation, if Jordan Peterson were to talk to Dennis, mm-hmm. he, w- he would be able to see the fact that Dennis has a lot of promise. You know, he's a man that's very, very smart. And that's why I feel that he's uh, such a, just a fan favorite in terms of, like, it's always sunny and things like that. Because everybody can kind of see themselves in Dennis a little bit. It's interesting that you should say that. I think what uh, Rob... Mc, not Rob Mc, uh, um Dennis. Rob McElhenney? Oh, yeah, no, uh, no, that's, that's uh, Mac. Uh, Glenn Howerton. Glenn Howerton. Yes. I think what he said specifically about Dennis, but more generally about It's Always Sunny, was it's what, look, it's what it would look like when people that have shot for the American dream and failed. That's what, that's what the characters are supposed to represent. Right. Which fits right into what you were saying. And they're in, I am a, yeah, I'm a gigantic fan of It's Always Sunny in mm-hmm. Philadelphia because it is like the most beautiful and crystalline representation of the devolution toward hell. Mm-hmm. 
that is a, because they're normal guys. Yeah. Season one, they're entirely normal people, and then slowly but surely, through their pathologies, they descend into their own person of hell. That literally no one can touch them without being just screwed over. Yes. You can't walk into Patty's Pub without you know <laughs> being being, being irrecoverably yeah. yeah ruined forever. Yeah. Right, and that's and yeah. if we're and as we always mention. As knows in the network, that's that runs perfectly in line with it. Every mm. single one of them is just uh, adding more, adding more vitriol and negativity toward the network. And because they're all the gang is always together, what else can they do but palpitate that across Philadelphia? <laughs> this is so good. I've never thought about that. Like that yeah, it's fascinating. Oh, I mean, I I, that, I always felt it, but you just articulated right. It that episode where they go get analyzed, the gang goes get yes. goes and gets analyzed. That imagine if Jordan Peterson was the one that was analyzing <laughs> them, you know? <laughs> I think it would recap? end the exact same way. I think it would end the exact same way with D just breaking. He's like, "You bitch!" <laughs> oh my god! Right, but it just goes to show how unbelievably universal this feeling is that mm. even in in any piece of media, even the most nihilistic to the common observer, mm -hmm. can touch upon the ills of the zeitgeist almost. That everybody is feeling the fact that we kind of don't know what to do with ourselves anymore. Because when it comes to eating, oh man, we got the game locked down. We can't go hungry anymore. Yeah. We is not to speak for every human, but for us right here, it's yeah. impossible for us to go hungry. It's very apparent when yeah. you look outside. Or walk around a Walmart or it's very yeah. very hard to go hungry and because of that that automatically boop, that that uh, necessity gone uh, where where to live that's a bit more anxiety writing you know because we have to go to work we have to maintain the job to maintain the mortgage to maintain ourselves and that you know that's uh, that's a strong consistent anxiety that isn't that hasn't been as quelched in our society as food has right but still very much um improved <laughs> oh much much <laughs> like so right guy. exactly it's like it takes yeah. 90 days for the sheriff to, i mean like it takes what six months for this almost almost for the sheriff to, to kick, you, kick out, you, you out exactly yeah. it's like you get your affairs in order you know mm -hmm. it's like it isn't like from one day to the next they're gonna just kick you out yeah. it's like it's a long process yeah. to do so and in six months you know imagine you're doing horribly and i can only imagine potentially somebody out there might be right now doing horribly to the point that you just got evicted right or just got the notice of eviction you got 90 days 90 days man 90 days is three months and that is a very very long time if if the time is properly used right and that time you can easily get yourself clean of marijuana to get yourself a job at that in that amount of time you can easily uh, begin to save money from not spending money on drugs mm -hmm. to eventually come to a point that even if you get evicted from this one place that you're at right now you'll have enough money to uh, pay for a down payment on the next place that you're at there are still so many avenues of um, of opportunity, even at the at what could be considered in our society the lowest point, right? Because you know, getting evicted, yeah, getting evicted is, is like you know, like it's still a stigmatizing thing. Like, right. you know, like nobody wants to have that kind of Being you know, homeless, but, yeah. But you're saying that it's um, we just we we fuck not everybody, but we have a much bigger amount of opportunity. Uh, correct. And, and, yes. And, the the and I know this is a this is a buzzword that people like to misuse, but the social safety net set up for us is very very apt to handle if you want to if you are able to put in a little work alongside mm -hmm. it 
And um, thank goodness, right? That's yeah. uh, what that's what, something that Jordan Peterson is always mentioning that although we we should criticize the criticize the patriarchy, we also have to give it its due in the sense that it's both things. It's the tyrannical king, but it's also the loving father yeah. at the same time. That no no father worth his salt is all love to mm -hmm. their children. They're they're hard at the same time. Yeah, they're discipline. hard. You have to discipline because or else you just make soft you just make softies all, all over the place yeah. and they're useful to no one, right? In because the world is hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you need diamonds. diamonds. You More need diamonds. diamonds. Yeah, this. Yeah, that. I feel like that story just perfectly kind of encapsulates. Mm -hmm. You know, Jordan Peterson's philosophy. Right. That I'm know. amazed that he hasn't brought it up more. Yeah, I've never heard him mention it. Yeah. I mean, he mentioned. Gotcha, Jordan. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Please come on yeah. one day. Yeah, one day come. Yeah. yeah, that would be great. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> but that's the thing is that it's the striving, right? It's mm -hmm. like we can we're speaking to air right now, but who knows what these kind of situations? Just the desire to want to be able to put our better foot forward mm -hmm. can lead, right? And that's all it takes. Yeah, just a, that's just the example that he did, right? It's like I'm willing to lose my job, you know, like I'm willing to completely um, go against, you know, because he's a liberal. He he very very actively says that he is a he's a He's a left-leaning guy, but he's just not a radical. You know, yeah. like he he wants reformation. He doesn't want destruction. Yeah. And I I oh I feel that entirely because mm -hmm. as I said, I love this country. I come from Honduras, which is a very dysfunctional place that unfortunately for one reason or another, both historical and and contemporary and present, there's just a lot of mixing that um this allows us to be as organized as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. And um but here, there's a paradigm that we're a little closer to what, what it should be, right? Even with all our ills, that it's worth preserving and at the same time worth refining. I think that's the, that's the key word for myself. I want to refine the uh, society that I live in, not... Uh, not chuck it aside, right? right? Because it's a diamond. It really is. It, mm -hmm. And there might be some cracks here and there. There might be a, there, there might be some fogging coming up on one end. But you don't throw away a beautiful diamond just because there's yeah. work to be done mm -hmm. on it. You know that the hours put into a diamond are also the thing that make the diamond beautiful, right? Because as we said, the one on the ground is just like. If we pick up a whole new paradigm of societal system, we'd have to pick it up off the ground, and that diamond's going to be way cloudier and way shittier than the one we just stopped working with. We're going to have to go back and restructure and redo things that were already handled a couple hundred years ago, right? And there's it's plenty like, of examples of this in right. history, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there's this, it, it seems to be a very unnecessary and reactionary um, response to a system that does have legitimate uh, issues that should be addressed. Well, you know what? I think Jordan Peterson does reference this very often. Um, maybe not specifically, but what we're, we're talking about, but he uses the term, uh, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater right, exactly. all of the fucking time. Exactly. And that, it's, it, that is mostly what he's talking about when, when he says that, too. But, yeah. <clears throat> Well, that's probably a good place to um, wrap it up. Do you think so? Um, my brain's just tired. <laughs> that's okay, man. It's understandable. If there's just so much to be said. Yeah. The, um, the library of things and topics that that man has touched is 
robust and we could literally be here six hours and maybe touch on 10% of just it. A, yeah. Just a little if bit of that. it. If yeah. that, right? So yeah, everybody, um, 12 Rules for Life, Maps maps of Meaning. I haven't read the book. The YouTube lectures are apparently pretty good. Oh, the actual Maps of Meaning book? Yeah. No, I haven't read it either. I watched mm. the lectures. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's about 25 of them, and each one of them is between two hours and an hour long. So that's like a whole book anyways, right? Yeah. The book's like 600 pages, so. Wow. Yeah, it's long. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I think so. I think that anybody who was, who bothered to click on this, I hope that uh, it was satisfactory. I hope that we were able to showcase the reasons why we sing the praises that we do for Jordan Peterson and to also be able to showcase a bit more uh, of a spectrum in terms of the people that he attracts, mm -hmm. right? Because the, you're a person born, where? You were born in California? You were born in Minnesota? <laughs> yeah, no, Minnesota. Right, you were born in Minnesota, yeah, sorry. I, yeah. yeah, Midwest. Midwest, right. <laughs> yeah, and I was born in Honduras, right? Mm -hmm. two, two humans that were born in separate parts of, the reali of reality and we came to each other and here we are now brought together by the uh, fostering of ethics that this guy is trying to teach. Mm -hmm. It it really showcases that it's a, it's a human effort. Yeah. It can it can touch a lot of people and it can because all it's asking you is to talk to yourself. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be like Jordan Peterson. You don't have to be like me. You don't have to be like you. There is you can only be your best self. And I think that it's something that everybody needs to keep in mind as they move along life to cut themselves a little slack, but at the same time understand that your charcoals uh, with diamonds inside of them waiting to be extracted. Mm -hmm. Damn. Some real pretty words you just said there. <laughs> yeah, odd. check out The Spoke Zarathustra if you can. It's a dense <clears throat> book, but man, oh man. Yeah, um, Crime and Punishment, um, The Idiot. Yeah. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but the brothers... Karamatsov. Karamatsov. Yeah. Uh, I hear is another really good one. I'm about to start reading uh, Notes from Underground. I hear mm. that's a very dark one. That that one's before Crime and Punishment, mm. so that's when he was still uber dark. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and uh, the Gulag Archipelago. Uh, if, ever, if ever I get to that book. Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, it seems like one that you should read, but you don't want to. Yeah, all right. <laughs> you really... I, like, look at it, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, what was the dude, uh, Frankel, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Wonderful book. Um, we, didn't, we didn't touch on it at all, but uh, it, it kind of falls in the vein of what this talk was about. But... Uh, Check that out. Uh, check out Jordan Jordan Peterson's lectures on YouTube. All of them, probably. They're great. Yeah, right. Uh, hey, and if you find any points of contention, take that as an excuse to then take out your phone and begin your own podcast and responses to it, right? Because every single instance is a good moment for proactivity. Nothing can stop you except yourself. That's, I think that's the big lesson. And that's the killer thought that we're going to be leaving you with tonight. So... Have a nice day and keep being diamonds.